Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript. Welcome to LFBI's weekly podcast and YouTube series, The Postscript, where we've been interviewing Pastor Alan Shelby of Harvest Baptist Church in Blue Springs. We've been having uh, a very good and thought-provoking conversation just about the state of the church and uh, whether or not the church can have the impact in this world that it's supposed to have. And, and so we're going to continue on that line uh, of conversation. I want to begin by asking you, Alan, what, uh, what is your definition or how do you understand uh, post-Christianity? Uh, well, I, you know, I think if I were to kind of examine the assumption about us living in a post-Christian society, mm-hmm. let's say, um, you know, I think probably the last time we were post-Christian society was kind of started by Constantine. And, you know, I, I don't know that the problem is that we're a post-Christian society, because I feel like our society is simply mirrored um, ancient Rome. We're the new Romans. Mm-hmm. So what we, the problem that we have is a post-Christian Christianity. And because we have a post-Christian Christianity, then we are not influencing society mm-hmm. in the way that it should be moved toward an acceptance of God and the gospel. And uh, that's on us. Yeah. And the post-Christian Christianity is, uh, be, you know, Christianity really is defined by what the Bible says it is. So if at, at any point we move away from the Bible and certainty and authority, and, and move away. And it may seem like an insignificant thing or even almost imperceptible, but every move away makes us less of a Christian Christianity and less of the influence we should be mm-hmm. upon society. And, and by moving away, I'm, I'm sure there's many ways that we can define moving away. And one of the things I see is, you know, people who would have once been Bible-believing Christians— um, being more concerned with, with politics than they are about their faith. Um, I mean, what other ways do you, th- you think Christians are defined by their post-Christianity uh, rather than what the, the gospel calls them to? And I think, I think politics is one aspect of what I would say is a broader, <clears throat> broader orbed uh, view of what has taken place because um, the same thing is happening now as what happened at the end of the Roman Republic leading up to the first emperor. And they had, politically, they had polarization. And that was part of the problem. They, mm-hmm. they lost to the Republic because of the extreme polarization and they tried a couple of triumvirates. And it was not until they settled on one person to be the imperator and uh, basically dictator. Right who would guide, you know, the benevolent one who would guide things. And so that we, the same thing is happening with us politically. And we should all be patriotic. But sometimes if we allow our patriotism to blind us biblically uh, and allow, you know, certain things related to politics to trump our discipleship, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, that becomes, then we are no less than the Romans were. We are, we are simply the new Romans. Mm. That happens in, in media. That happens in culture. That happens in culture. 
Um, because I'm not, you know, I grew up in a church that preached, certainly would preach against miniskirts, <laughs> but even preach right. against flared leg pants and wire rim glasses. Now, not necessarily my pastor, but within a movement that did that. Mm -hmm. What we have today is a Greco-Roman society. And so you go out and watch people walk on the street, and oh, yes, there's a Greek statue. Because that's the, the way they, the clothing they wear, and the, I mean, so it's right within our culture we, it is so permeated, we don't even recognize it. I'm not, I'm not, that, my problem is not with that. I'm not preaching against that. I'm not saying that, you know, ladies should dress any differently or anybody should dress any differently. Uh, but we, we are a pro, we have a post-Christian Christianity that does not allow us to engage that in bringing hope to the individuals within our society and within our culture, and uh, you know which process was practically described, I guess, in in ancient times and other times as revival, mm -hmm. and uh, seeing revival within uh, within our society. So that so that leads us to the question I was going to ask you next was with all of the with all of the. Um, what we would refer to as, we could call it falling away. We could call it deconstruction of faith. We could call it secularizing of, um, of our, our faith system. We could call it a critical perspective of the Bible. Um, there's many ways that we could refer to the problem that we face as Christians in 2019. With all of that in mind, here we are, uh, literal in our approach to Scripture, right? Uh, clinging on to our Bibles, and uh, the question I have is, what hope do we have uh, as Bible believers of revival in our world? Is there, is there hope for renewal um, in, in our faith system, in the, in the way that we believe in what God is doing in this world? Is there, is there space for that? If I lift out just one thing, besides, uh, you know, besides politics— or besides fashion and general culture, um, if I lift out the idea of immigration, and we were a nation built upon immigrants, and yet at the time many people were afraid because in the 1830s to 1860s particularly, many of those immigrants were Roman Catholics who were coming here to America. How was that going to change things? Mm -hmm. Why did that, uh, how did that resolve itself? Why did we become the nation we became in the late 1800s, the um, uh, first half of the 1900s? It was because of revival. It was the revivals that took place among those immigrants that mm -hmm. brought them to Christ and put them in churches. It was the revival of 1859, which happened on both sides of the Atlantic. And now these waves of immigrants are coming to Christ and into churches, and that made it okay. And we have, uh, you know, immigration is part of the concern that Americans have today. Right. And on a spiritual level, do I care whether a wall get, gets built or not? Um, the, I do not care about that so much as for the people who are here, are we getting them the gospel? Mm -hmm. Because if we have revival, 
that makes it okay mm. because now they believe like I believe and they more or less would stand for the same policies, uh, government policies that I would stand for. So are you suggesting that one of the things that needs to happen if we want to see revival is that there has to be a shift in, pr in perspective? Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, like that, and, I, and again, I think that the problem is not the, the world affecting the church. I think the church has ceased to affect the world. So it's not that we have a post-Christian society. We have post-Christian Christians. And when was the last time we saw a revival that was genuine, not, not, the, uh, you know, not the barking dog revival that right, uh, right, you know, sure. some groups have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what you're saying is really interesting. So you're pointing to, like, historically, in, in America or in the West, we've seen revival take place. Um, but, you know, someone from our ilk would say, uh, well, that was Philadelphian age uh, dispensation, right? That's, that's a different part of the church age than what we know today. Well, we're in Laodicea, and prophetically, is there any reason why we couldn't see those types of revival happen in our midst? Um, is there any reason why we can't have those, those great awakenings uh, here again? Right. So, you know, I believe in dispensations, and I teach dispensationalism. And I, you know, I was at least the, the last one to have taught our survey of theology and dispensational theology mm -hmm. class in LFBI. But I do not know why anyone would speak hopelessness into any situation. Mm -hmm. That's, that is to no profit, regardless what you believe about dispensations. So, so let me unpack that concept of sure. revival. If the hope is revival, then, then what do I mean by that? Because, uh, you know, just like with a dictionary, you can take a word, but you have... In the definition, you have several different meanings. It means certain yeah. things in certain contexts. So uh, some churches have what they call a revival, usually on an annual basis, and, and that's fine. So that's one definition of revival. And then I will say revival exists totally, secondly, a second way, a second meaning for revival is something totally originated by God and totally up to Him. Mm. And sometimes, uh, so if I study historically revival and read books on revival, um, you know, they will talk about the revivals down through church history or in American history that have uh, typically begun with some prayer movement, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, God has just seen fit to do a thing. So re a revival also exists. Uh, in those times, I can remember at uh, when I was a junior in high school at youth camp, and we went to youth, youth camp that year, and you might expect, well, it's just going to be a normal youth camp. A, uh, now, I was in Blue Ridge Baptist Temple, and we went with Kansas City Baptist Temple. A couple of the kids that we had bought were caught with smokes. Uh-oh. So just regular smokes, not, yeah. not even. This is typical youth camp yeah, behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the way that the speaker and, uh, you know, dealt with that, and I, you know, again, I was just a junior in high school, so I'm just observing. Um, they had those kids get up in camp, get up in the evening service, 
and talk about what they did mm-hmm. and ask for everyone's forgiveness. And, you know, the preacher preached. And, uh, you know, it was like the fire of God fell, as I guess you might say. Sobered uh, everybody up. Well, at, at the end of the service, everyone was crying. Everyone was crying. I mean, it's like you couldn't have an invitation. It's, you know, it's like if you don't want to come forward, just come forward. So, <laughs> you know, and right. yeah, everybody else stay in here. So everyone was crying. We went to our dorms afterwards, and this was, uh, this was Beth Eden Bible Camp, and there was no air conditioning. Man. But there were huge fans that made a lot of noise. And even afterwards, after an hour in the service and finally going back to the dorm, and so we're in this dorm with a bunch of high school young men and the counselors, we're staying up talking. And we're like, man, turn the fans off. I want to hear what they're saying. Wow. And so that went until wee hours of the morning. And that was, I think, that was, yeah, and there were certain elements to that, you know, including the repentance of their brokenness. And then, and then, but God did something. The Holy Spirit came to yeah. create a spirit of brokenness among everyone else who was assembled there, all at the same time. Mm. And um, the, you know, so we had revival in that sense. But the third uh, definition I would suggest, and this, uh, you know, I haven't read this any place in a book. I, this, you're just drawing this out of me as we sure. talk. Yeah. But the third area of revival and the most significant, the one that applies, I think, to what we're talking about. Um, What I would say is the Word of God does the work. The Word of God always does the work. Mm. So when you can get people back in contact with the Word of God, it does the work. Whatever you need to change, personality, uh, resolving issues, um, forgiveness, uh, moving on, remorse, regret, um, you know, psychotic issues, you know what? The Word of God will do the work. If you give the mental obedience to accepting what it says and submitting to what it says and following through, the Word of God will do the work. Mm. And it, it doesn't work like a drug. It looks works like a vitamin. We want medicine. God's giving us vitamins. So it works not immediately, mm. but ultimately it works. It does work. And there's nothing for which there's not an answer. And when, since the Word of God does the work, that is the type of revival we need today. And that is the hope. I mean, the fact that we've moved so far from biblical authority is a reverse argument for the hope that we have going for us today. Mm. Because all we have to do is show people how to return. Yeah. And, and so what I'm hearing you say is that this third type of revival that you're describing, it almost sounds like it has to start with personal revival. It's almost like it starts as a fledgling work in the heart of every disciple. And that over time, as discipleship is disseminated, then there is hope for a revival in terms of a societal revival. Is that... It starts with a personal viewpoint. And just like the decision, the choice you had to make when you got saved to say, okay, I'm going to believe this, mm-hmm. that if I pray to this God I cannot see, he's, he's hearing me. Mm-hmm. And that this Jesus really did die. 
from my sins. And that I, I am going to believe he rose from the dead. I'm going to believe that. So in the same way that you do that, and in the same way that you have the attitude, the mentality to say, you know, I believe God created. And I think you can take the evidence and you can see evidence of, I mean, there are just things that just do not fit with evolution, even as much as they have to more or less follow the pathway here, there are so many leaps they have to make. And that's God. Mm -hmm. God created, you know, I can see how all of that fits Mm -hmm. in. By the same token, you have to have that same, today you have to have that, make that same choice, have that same decision that says the Bible is totally sufficient. Right. I don't, I don't need the other psychological things that are offered. That is the best a lost man can do on a good day. And outside of the placebo effect, it doesn't work. We need revival. Mm. Uh, we need to let the Word of God do the work it will do. Right. So we just had our pastor's retreat um, this last week. And so one of the things we did, I don't know, you know how you view this, but, uh, you know, uh, we're nerdy or whatever we are, but one of the things we did <clears throat> Tuesday night when we were together, we watched a movie. The movie we watched was a new documentary on the life of Billy Graham that was produced since his death last year. Mm. So we watched kind of you know, a one-hour history of Billy Graham. Right. And we saw the revival that started in 1949 with Los Angeles Crusade in 57 with the uh, uh, New York Crusade in, in Manhattan. And we saw... We saw Things that those things that took place, and now he's he's one of the things that came out of his story at that time when he was a president of a Bible college, which was not exactly his spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. He was an evangelist, sure, but when he was there, um, that was when a liberalizing, secularizing, skeptical viewpoint of the Bible was creeping into what was then called new evangelicalism. So you had the evangelicals, Whitfield, Edwards, and uh, now then you had the fundamentals, and so fundamentalists that came out of that. Well, Mm -hmm. now this new group says, look, we want to just go back to being evangelicals. We're the new evangelicals. Mm -hmm. But he had to wrestle with issues related to the... Biblical authority of the Bible. Did Moses write the first five books? Or were there multiple JEDP theory? Now, which is still, you know, I just bought the Fortress by Old Testament and New Testament Bible commentary, and that's mm-hmm. exactly where lost scholarship is still at. Not couldn't be Moses, that's a myth. Right. That's a fable. It, you know, but we can you know, we can get our crystal iPad. We can get out our crystal iPad and we can def- divine that there was a Jehovah's author and there was a Elohist author because he uses that name a lot. And mm-hmm. there was a priestly author and and the Deuter- and then Deuteronomy kind of stands by. I said, okay, yeah, I've got my crystal iPad. And <laughs> depending on how much, you know, I've had to drink that morning, I can see a lot of things in it. And um, okay, he had to wrestle with you know, and he finally came down at the end of the day, he describes, he went into the woods, he laid his Bible on a stump. He said, God, you know, I don't know how to answer all the secular and skeptical objections 
but I'm going to take this book as as a as my authority, and I'm going to preach it like that. Mm. That was uh, early '49. They started the Los Angeles Crusade that summer, and boom, revival. Now it's probably the last revival we have seen in America that would be something that affected the country. Mm-hmm. But my point is that even if you think you don't know all the answers or have all the issues resolved, e- even if you will just view it as authoritative, even if you don't understand all the reasons why, the Word of God will do the work for you. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that is, that's the answer I was hoping for. Because what it does for me is it tells me that if I have faith in God's Word, and if I believe that He wants to use me to, to, to live the Great Commission, then revival can start in my home. Yeah. And revival can start in the ministry that I oversee. And ministry can, can spread out into the streets and, and, and into the, the, the schools. And, uh, and I think I need that kind of hope because things do seem hopeless sometimes. And it, and it starts in the people who you, who you disciple mm-hmm. with the mindset you pass on to them and those you win to Christ. And, and that, you know, that doesn't look quite the same as the type of revival that falls all at once. But I think God doesn't do that all the time. Right. And that is, uh, I mean, you can, we can pray, but I don't think he even does it in response to prayer per se. I think he does it when it's his goodwill to do it. And we should always seek it. Mm-hmm. But the better kind of revival is the consistent, stable, balanced. That goes totally against our nature today because mm-hmm. we are all bipolar, mm-hmm. because we're Americans. Mm-hmm. And that is that is the common malady of the day. So when we use balance to trump boundaries, we can see the Word of God do the work and have revival in the deep-rooted, stabilizing way that we, we I mean, we see we need it because everything else in our society goes exactly the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need God, for sure. Well, thank you for this conversation about revival. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us in, in this episode with Pastor Alan Shelby talking about uh, truth and, and, and whether or not truth there's, there's hope for truth uh, to, to go forth. And, and do we have hope whether or not God can continue to use His church in a world that's rejected Him? And, and so this has been a very powerful conversation. We hope that you join us next week as we continue talking with Pastor Alan Shelby, picking his brain uh, about what God has shown him. And so we want to thank you for, for being with us, and we'll see you next week. If you've got questions about Living Faith Bible Institute or the Postscript, please visit lfbi.org.